America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day, a great weekend as we get ready to celebrate America's national pastime. No, I'm not talking about football. I'm not talking about the big game. I'm talking about betting. (laughs) I'm wagering. Uh, because there's ability, there, there are lists of uh, various odds that you can get and ways you can make money if you can outsmart uh, the odds makers. Uh, this goes on everything from uh, betting on the length of the national anthem in seconds. The over-under is 87.5 seconds. Uh, the coin toss result, heads or tails, game winner, of course, whether it's the 49ers or the Chiefs. The uh, first offensive play of the game, will it be a run or a pass? Well, this year they have um, uh, things beyond just the playing field. Uh, You can get odds of 9 to 2. In other words, if you put up uh, 2 bucks, you can uh, make money. You would get back 11 bucks. If, in fact, uh, Travis Kelsey proposes to Taylor Swift after the game. (laughs) I'm surprised that that you only get uh, the uh, 11 bucks back, the nine bucks plus the two that you bet. Uh, uh, Really? And uh, there are other questions, uh, not just will Travis Kelsey propose, uh, the FanDuel has set 9.2 to 1 odds on uh, Kelsey proposing to Swift after the game. The Canadian betting site, Bet99.Canada, uh, uh, has also made the wager available. Uh, there's also, you can bet on how many times Taylor Swift will be mentioned. Now, my understanding is she's just completing... Uh, these sold-out, of course, concerts in Tokyo. And she's uh, coming back, and uh, they they basically are um, going to whisk her uh, to the game because she doesn't want to miss it because her significant other is one of the people who is playing. Uh, This should be tremendous excitement as people try to total up how many times the cameras will go to uh, uh, Taylor Swift enjoying the game. It it could be many, many times. Um, If uh, Bud Light is uh, plotting a brand revival in a new Super Bowl ad, and isn't that basically to make up for their... uh, LGBTQ sensitivity in their last attempt. Uh, and, and here is uh, <laughs> some terrifically good news that I think can bring the country together in joy. Um, no, President Biden will not be doing a Super Bowl interview. Uh, his advisors expect that uh, sports fans should be grateful. And I'm sure most people uh, would be. Biden's communication strategist thinks sports fans will appreciate having a politics-free day uh, during a hectic election year. 
I think, by the way, for, for President Biden, given the fact that uh, there would be references to um, memory questions uh, and, and to discussions of uh, whether he really does have an impaired memory, as uh, was suggested by the, uh, the report from the special prosecutor, Robert Hoare, who was assigned to investigate his handling of confidential documents. Uh, with, uh, with all of that going on, we're going to be talking to Andy McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy, the former federal prosecutor, uh, senior writer for National Review, and uh, for uh, a pillar of the National Review Institute. In any event, he has a fascinating suggestion for Joe Biden uh, with a way that he can respond most effectively to what uh, he has just experienced. Uh, his advice for Biden is to pardon Trump on the classified documents. Uh, Andrew McCarthy says that there are many reasons why it would be the right thing to do politically and otherwise. We will be speaking to him uh, coming up on the Medved Show. Meanwhile, there were two um, political decisions, personal career decisions in politics that caught my attention. One is uh, local here in the Pacific Northwest. The uh, headline in the Seattle Times, uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, who has been the most prominent Republican to actually win elections here in the state of Washington for years and years and years, uh, U.S. Representative Kathy McMorris Rogers announced yesterday that she will not seek re-election this fall, joining a wave of retirements in a House of Representatives whose dysfunction has been on full public display this week. McMorris Rogers announced her decision in a statement saying she'd be, been honored to represent the people of Eastern Washington. They inspire me every day, she said. Uh, they are part of the strength and soul of America the greatest experiment in self-governance the world has ever known. After much prayer and reflection, I've decided the time has come to serve them in new ways. I will not be running for re-election to the People's House. Could that have something to do with the fact that the People's House has been a madhouse? I mean, <laughs> really, uh, President Trump uses the term bedlam, a bedlam based upon the old name for the Jewish, not Jewish, British actually, uh, hospi hospital for the insane that was established way back in the 1600s in London, which was called Bethlehem, and that was sort of shortened to bedlam. In any event, uh, given the fact that she won't get the chance to uh, work any longer with Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Lauren Boebert. I'm, I'm sure she will miss every minute of it. Um, she had socked away more than $1.6 million for her re-election campaign and faced no big-name challengers in the solidly Republican 5th Congressional District around Spokane, 
where she was reelected in 2022 with nearly 60 percent of the vote. Uh, this should be a safe Republican seat. Meanwhile, uh, there is a virtual tie going on in the special election where people are going to be voting on Tuesday. That's in Long Island, New York. And that's where uh, George Santos <laughs> was expelled from the House of Representatives. There's a very exciting Republican candidate whose name uh, is Meza Patil. And uh, Papil, uh, in any event, she is uh, Ethiopian, uh, Israeli, uh, American, became a U.S. citizen in 2009. She's a former uh, paratrooper, as she identifies herself with the Israel Defense Forces. She never actually uh, fought in combat, but she was part of that unit, which is considered to be an elite unit. She's taking on a former Democratic representative who's trying to win his seat back, and they're virtually tied. Also, Larry Hogan, former governor of Maryland, is running for the Senate. People had thought he might run for the president on no labels. No labels, no. Senate, yes. We'll be speaking to Andrew McCarthy coming right up on The Medved Show. Receive 50% off by becoming a MedHead member. It's so cool. Join now at michaelmedved.com. It's been leading up to the uh, big game on Sunday, uh, an amazing week in terms of political news, legal news, and often, of course, political news and legal news have become the same thing. An expert in both the political and legal aspects of the world around us, Andy McCarthy, who is a senior fellow at National Review Institute, a contributing editor of National Review and uh, served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Uh, the one thing we can agree on, um, many things I think we can probably agree on, but one of them is that this has been an astonishing week for news. Uh, much of the news probably encouraging to Donald Trump and his supporters, no? Well, Michael, I guess that's that's right. Although I I mentioned to Jeremy before we uh, we started that um, we started the week with the the collapse of the border bill and the debacle involving Mayorkas's impeachment, and then the immunity ruling, which went badly against Trump, and that now seems so long ago. I don't I barely remember. Um, because of uh, what's gone on the last two days. So, yes, he had about as good a day as you could have, um, given his uh, straits yesterday, uh, President Trump did. And, um, you know, for somebody who spent as much time in um, in courtrooms the last couple of years, it's probably the best day he's had in a long time. Um, but, you know, it's a long way to go. Well, it does. It does look like, based upon the uh, oral arguments at the Supreme Court yesterday, 
he is almost surely not going to be uh, banned from the ballot in Colorado or Maine or anywhere in the country. But uh, in in terms of uh, the handling of his problem with classified documents, you have a radical suggestion that you have just posted that is extremely, um, I, I don't know, it's deeply intriguing and challenging. Uh, you write, advice for Biden, pardon Trump on the classified documents. This is, of course, before he faces uh, legal accountability for his indictments on uh, those issues. Why is it a good idea for Biden to pardon him? Well, I think uh, legally and politically, it's the right thing to do because there's really no good justification for Trump being charged with espionage act felony violations, 32 of them, which would uh, um, would would get you to like over three centuries of imprisonment if, if you <laughs> gave him the statutory max. Um, and then Biden gets a complete pass under circumstances where the special counsel found that he acted willfully. So, um, you know, that's a big deal because under the statute, there's a 10 year felony uh, if you grossly negligently mishandle classified information. So if you can prove willfully, which is the highest intent element in the criminal law, um, gross negligence ought to be a layup. Um, so it's really not fair that the cases are treated differently. And the rationale for treating them differently that's always offered is that Trump obstructed the investigation, but Biden cooperated with it. The thing is, when someone obstructs an investigation, you indict him for obstruction. When someone cooperates with an investigation, that's what's supposed to happen, especially if you are the uh, person in the executive branch who's sworn to faithfully execute the laws. So we don't give medals to people for cooperating. And that doesn't, you know, if, if somebody's investigating a murder I committed and I'm cooperative, um, they, they don't say, gee, thanks. You know, I think we'll drop the murder charge here. Um, that's ridiculous, right? So I think it would be the, the thing that's said to distinguish these two cases is the obstruction. So get rid of the 32 Espionage Act cases and try it as an obstruction case which would show that Biden understands what has people upset, what the distinctions are. And I think the reason, Michael, that his base, even though they, their impulse would be to go crazy, one of the reasons that they might uh, accept such a thing, besides the fact that it would be politically good for Biden, it would, it would hold him in good stead um, with a lot of people who don't like a, a lot of this lawfare stuff. Uh, but the other thing is, if that case, is a classified documents case, it's never getting to trial prior to the election. Whereas, because what's bogged it down is all these, uh, the, the Classified Information Procedures Act makes it very hard for a classified documents case to get to trial anytime soon because you have to litigate all the admissibility stuff before trial. But if you got rid of all that stuff and just tried it as a narrow obstruction count, and he's facing eight obstruction counts, and that's what everybody says is the material difference between the two cases, um, then you might actually get the case to trial. Except it's an awful lot to explain, isn't it? Uh, that, uh, well, we're pardoning Trump uh, on the uh, uh, the 
one aspect of the case, but he's still going to be, for the same uh, general issue, held accountable on obstruction of justice. Uh, that's well, what you're suggesting. Yeah, it, it, it may sound initially like it's a little difficult to uh, explain, except this is what they keep saying is the reason for treating the two cases differently. So I don't know why you can't just simply say, okay, we won't treat them differently. They'll both not face classified documents charges. And the reason Trump is getting prosecuted but Biden isn't is Trump obstructed the investigation. So we'll go with the obstruction, which, by the way, eight counts of obstruction is about 40 years of potential criminal exposure. When I'm okay, not is, is, it, is it even conceivable that they could bring a newly structured obstruction case against him before the election? Well, they wouldn't have to structure it anew. All they would need to do is eliminate the 32 counts and leave the indictment otherwise as it is. The only issue in any obstruction case, see, the reason the classified documents case slows down is the substance of the documents is important to the counts. And it gives Trump the opportunity to say, I need access to other classified documents in order to explain my side of the story. Whereas if it's just an obstruction case, the subpoena said, turn over all documents marked classified. doesn't matter what they say. It's a lawful subpoena, and he's supposed to turn that over. Okay. You, you uh, 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 also uh, have been uh, a defender of Robert Hoare, the special counsel, uh, for bringing up the issue of Biden's apparent mental decline. Why is it appropriate for him to have brought that into this examination of handling of classified documents? Uh, we will get an answer to that from, because that's a question of the day, uh, from Andy McCarthy and also his opinion whether this is a legitimate issue to decide an election on. The uh, mental acuity, cognitive decline, alleged of one of the candidates, or maybe both of them. Uh, we'll be right back with Andy McCarthy coming up on the Medvedev. Joined by Andy McCarthy of National Review, a former assistant U.S. attorney, distinguished prosecutor, uh, somebody who knows our legal system and the way it's supposed to work. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism uh, today, the day after, uh, the over Robert Hoare's decision to make several references to President Trump's forgetfulness. He described him as a, uh, uh, did I, President Biden, pardon me, uh, President Biden's forgetfulness. He described him as a, uh, a well-meaning elderly man uh, with a um, bad memory. And, uh, okay, uh, you have defended Robert Hoare, the special prosecutor, uh, based upon the idea that uh, that's an appropriate observation to make. 
why is that appropriate? The Democrats claim, well, this is irrelevant. This is just shows there's political motivation here, even though Biden wasn't uh, they didn't recommend indictment or prosecution or anything. This is a, a devastating blow that is political rather than appropriately legal. Why why yeah, do think, you believe it's appropriate? Well, you know, first of all, it's ridiculous. The prosecutor gave him a pass in a case where he found that he willfully retained classified documents. So, to, you know, cry me a river that they had stuff in there about him when he's not getting prosecuted. But um, these are conversations that go on in U.S. attorneys and, and state and municipal prosecutors' offices every day. We usually don't find out about them because in the normal case, the prosecutor just closes the case if they decide not to charge and you move on. But in special counsel investigations, it's required by regulation that the prosecutor comprehensively explain his charging decisions in what's supposed to be a confidential report that's given to the attorney general. So her job is to completely explain everything that's relevant to Attorney General Garland, including, Michael, the fact that if we indict this guy, we could be in six months or a year of litigation over whether he's fit to stand trial or not. You know, if you're a prosecutor and you're reporting to your superior and you leave out that little detail, that's a big problem for you. So it was totally appropriate for him to lay that out. It's up to the attorney general how much of the report becomes public. Her job was to write a complete, comprehensive report completely explaining his charging decision. So if they're mad at someone, they ought to be mad at Garland. And why would you think that why would you think that Garland would then uh, release those portions of the report that are so wounding? And, and they appear to genuinely have uh, provoked a passionate and very angry response from the president of the United States. Why would Merrick Garland let that go forward? Yeah, for the same reason, Michael, that all these sanctuary cities were happy to brandish the fact that they were sanctuary cities until they, they actually had to deal with the wages of, of being a sanctuary city. Biden and Garland both run around saying how transparent they are. Well, hello, this is transparency. This is what it means. It means that when there's really bad information and you could possibly have a legal reason to redact it, you don't redact it because you're transparent. You put it out. So they know that if he had tried to redact stuff, the, you know, Jim Jordan, who runs the committee that oversees the Justice Department, um, he'd have been there with a subpoena by the end of business telling them, you know, produce the report. So they didn't want to get caught redacting things that were uh, uncomplimentary or unflattering, especially when they make such a to-do about being transparent. But this is what it is. With... Um... Uh, everything that is happening right now, I, I know that you're one of those people who thinks that the Democrats are probably going to find a way to uh, force some substitution for Joe Biden, uh, because <laughs> this is an issue that isn't going to go away, and he's not going to suddenly get younger in the midst of the campaign. Uh, how do you think that would work? I mean, the the basic thing would be uh, almost uh, similar to Barry Goldwater <clears throat> and James Rhodes and uh, leading Republicans going to President Nixon and saying, hey, 
for the good of the party, for the good of the country, you've got to resign. Uh, could is it possible that uh, some of the Democratic leaders who Biden might respect would go together with Jill Biden and persuade him to withdraw? Is that something you envision? Well, I think they may have to persuade Jill first, but um, I, I, you know, I think they have a figure uh, in the person of Obama who who has that kind of stature in Democratic politics, um, who might be very influential here. But you know what what her lays out in the report is certainly enough of a basis to begin a conversation about whether the Twenty Fifth Amendment ought to be invoked. And I understand that, of course, the administration officials are keeping a stiff upper lip and being aggressive in the media. But you have to hope that behind the scenes, there's discussions going on. And if there's a consensus that uh, that the amendment ought to be invoked. Now, that would mean uh, Kamala Harris becomes president and, you know, she would uh, she would face Trump in the fall. I actually don't think that that would be the kind of catastrophe that a lot of people uh, think for Democrats. I think that, you know, she probably, uh, even though she's unpopular, she'd probably get a lift. Uh, the media would aggressively talk about, like, her historic presidency is not only the first female uh, president, but, uh, you know, female president of, of color. Um, it would be a big, big story for the media Democrat complex. And things are not always going to be as rosy as they were yesterday for former President Trump. You know, he's got some, you know, he's got some rough waters ahead with some of these other legal cases. So what's I'm what's the toughest that, of the what's the toughest of the legal cases? If you were uh, one of the people advising President Trump, which uh, courtroom scene would you be most afraid of? It's it's not uh, the uh, hush money for porn stars. It's not Eugene uh, Carroll. Right. Uh, what is it? Well, if, if President Biden takes my excellent advice and um, carves the Florida case down to a uh, obstruction case, that would be a very tough case for Trump to beat. And it's one that actually could get to trial. The big kahuna for them, obviously, is the election interference case in Washington, where it's a hostile jury pool for Trump and probably a hostile judge. The problem they have there is the major count in that case is obstruction. The Supreme Court's going to rule on that obstruction statute, not in connection with Trump, but in connection with some of the January 6th defendants at the end of June. And depending on what they do with that statute, that case could get much weaker. Um, so that's up in the air. But if I were he, what I'd be concerned about most is the election interference case. Because if they can get that to trial with a Washington, D.C. jury pool, the chance of him getting convicted of something is very high. And by the way, the uh, they just four hours ago, apparently, uh, Newsweek, uh, sort of ahead of us, uh, they have a headline, Kamala Harris's chances of beating Donald Trump. Uh, hypothetical matchups with Trump are not good uh, reading for Harris either. Uh, Okay, we will uh, obviously be getting to that as this situation develops. Uh, concerning the, uh, the big kahuna, as you put it, uh, the week began very badly for Trump with a resounding decision against the presidential sweeping immunity that he claimed. Now, things mixed up and changed. 
Uh, how about the big movies we're going to be covering, Out of Darkness and Suncoast? That coming up. Andy McCarthy, Godspeed to you. Have a wonderful weekend and enjoy the big game and everything else. a less eventful week and who knows maybe uh, new directions new opportunities uh, for uh, the choice uh, for the next president Uh, what kind of new opportunities who knows but the uh, focus right now on the incapacity alleged incapacity of Joe Biden Who would have expected we would be focused on this at the end of this week? And again, with all of the unpredictable legal aspects of Donald Trump's candidacy, it is a fascinating moment to be alive and to be part of the conversation. Speaking of the conversation, there are two new new movies out. One of them is streaming on Hulu uh, right now, beginning today. Uh, This, the latest from Hollywood. Okay, the first film isn't actually from Hollywood. It's from uh, an international consortium of filmmakers somewhat uh, centered in Scotland. The film is actually shot in Scotland. And it's uh, an attempt to imagine what life was like for some of the Neolithic inhabitants of uh, the British Isles, uh, people who were alive 45,000 years ago. And uh, the film is about a family group. The relationships are a little bit unclear. It's a uh, family group that is starving. And uh, these primitive people... Uh, get on a boat and go to another part of the British Isles and uh, they're desperately looking for food. And the problem is they find something very different. Uh, They find some kind of monstrous creature that may be demonic and is very effectively scary. The movie is called Out of Darkness. And the stars are Chaku Modu, Kit Young, Saf- Safia, Oakley Green. It is, for, for some reason, uh, a, um, a film that uh, invents its own language for its uh, racially diverse cast. And the language, well, it sounds like this. Tarkun. Uh, that means demon or something of that nature. Uh, the film is effectively scary. It is a uh, described as a uh, prehistoric caveman horror thriller. Uh, and uh, there's a little bit of a surprise uh, when you finally 
find out uh, the outcome and the survival strategies of these primitive people. Uh, frankly, the diverse casting is kind of difficult to justify because the idea that there would be different racial groups in this same limited corner of the world and uh, that this uh, one group of 10 people would be, uh, again, uh, a, a rainbow of, uh, of participants. But all of the acting is good, and it's fascinating for most of it. Uh, the, uh, the whole idea of trying to make sense of the language while you're reading the subtitles, uh, the names and the costumes... Uh, tend to blur the identity of the different characters so they don't emerge with much distinctiveness or uh, particular individual credibility. Uh, Out of Darkness is rated R. There are very brutal scenes uh, of violence and destruction and starvation and some of the impacts of starvation. Uh, two and a half stars. It's playing in theaters. Uh, when I say it's rated R, this is uh, definitely for people who can withstand uh, some very graphic, very graphic and disturbing scenes. Uh, Sun Coast is the name of the other movie, and it sounds like it's also a cheerful and uh, sun-kissed and about what you're going to be doing on vacation. It's not. It's uh, about a, a single mother played by Laura Linney, who, who's outstanding always. And uh, her teenage daughter is uh, played by Nico Parker, who is a rising young star. The key member of the family is the brother, and he has uh, uh, brain uh, uh, problems, issues. And he is uh, moved at the very beginning of the film to a hospice called Suncoast Hospice in uh, Florida. You may remember the Terry Schiavo case that uh, was uh, such a national fixation about 20 years ago. This is uh, based on that case in the sense that uh, he is moved to the same hospice in which she was being kept alive. That was a case where uh, her parents wanted to keep her alive. Her husband, uh, she had irreversible brain damage, uh, wanted to take her off the feeding tube. And while uh, the brother is suffering in, in this hospice, uh, the, uh, the daughter, uh, the younger sister of this stricken brother, meets a Christian who's very positively portrayed, played by Woody Harrelson, who is there as part of the group demonstrating to spare the life of Terry Schiavo. Listen. My brother's dying. He hasn't talked in years. I'm so sorry. My wife passed away. He's my child. When he's in pain, I'm in pain. I'm your child, too. For God's sake, give me a break. Once your brother's gone, he's gone. We're going to have fun again, you and me. Okay, this is a, a remarkable film, and it's a remarkable debut, uh, because the uh, the writer-director 
uh, producer uh, is named Laura Chin. This is her first movie. And what's interesting is, as a writer, the the dialogue is extremely well-written and very focused, and the characters emerge as very real. And also, visually, the film is fascinating, and the details are so well-handled. Uh, the... The resolution uh, never goes in quite the way you expect, uh, but uh, in terms of dealing with severe illness and its impact on survivors who are trying to deal with that, despite the fact that the Laura Linney character is very difficult and making life difficult for her daughter who goes to a Christian high school and wants only to be a uh, normal teenager, this is a, a film that unusually for a Hollywood film is actually very sympathetic and uh, very generous toward the idea of Christian faith. It's not a movie of faith. It is not a Christian movie in any sense, but it, it does show sensitivity toward that point of view, even with the controversy regarding Terry Schiavo in the background. Uh, it is rated R for some scenes of teenage um, misbehavior involving drugs, and, among other things, and uh, some language and, and the general content of people facing uh, the end-of-life situations that are the essence of the movie. Uh, it is rated R, three stars for Suncoast, two and a half stars for Out of Dark.